Hoot 7 proudly brings to you Basketball Hustle, featuring your host, the writer, Chris Pike, and the scoring machine, Sean Reddish. Now it's time for another episode of Hoops Heaven's Basketball Hustle. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Hoops Heaven Basketball Hustle. And all of a sudden, this time last week when we were doing our last show, we were looking forward to the two game threes of the NBL semifinals. And now we're in the middle of a grand final series. We've had grand final game one between the first Wildcats and the Sydney Kings. It was a cracker. It went, went right down to the last second. So we've got plenty to talk about on this week's show here on Hoop 7's Basketball Hustle. So let's get straight into it. I'm Chris Pike, your co-host, but Sean Redditch, the man in the center of it all, the Perth Wildcats legend, the four-time championship winner, the scoring machine. Thanks very much for joining me once again. Thanks, Pikey. Grand final time, best time of the year. Let's get into the show. Does it still get you excited to be at this time of year? You had to wait a long time to play any play in a grand final for the first time. Once you then got there for the first time, you pretty much played in a grand final every season for the rest of your career. Does it still get get your energy energy up on the belt? Oh yeah, there's another level when you get to that grand final, you know, there's, you know, a lot more interest within the team or walking around town, you're getting people asking, congratulating you and, and people just want to be associated with, with winning and, and want to see teams succeed and win. So, um, especially in your community and, and your friends and family and everyone just kind of, there's a little bit more notice around it and a little bit more buzz. So as great as the Red Army and, and, I guess RAC Arena is during the regular season. It takes it to a whole another level uh, come finals, Tom. And, and as a player, you feel that and you know that. I mean, you know that your season is, is on the lawn and you go into a game with those pressures. Um, and it, I guess it's the team that can handle those pressures the best is the one that's going to be able to, to succeed. And as we sit here right now, we're one game into the grand final series. We see the Perth Wildcats lead 1-1-0 over the Sydney Kings with game two to come. This Friday night at RAC Arena is it is the series where you expected to be, and are the two teams in the grand final that you expected to see? Well, I, I probably wouldn't have been surprised to see Melbourne in there, and and Cairns mm-hmm. definitely had their chances. You know, I thought they played fantastic. Probably just ran out of gas a little bit at the end to get them back into that game in Game Three. So. Um, probably the two best teams are there. I thought Sydney wasn't playing their best basketball, but they did enough to get get over the lawn and get that important game three win. So it's a uh, and then going in, I actually thought Sydney Kings were going to get game one just because they're playing at home, the emotion of the grand final, and the Wildcats having to play on Thursday night travel and playing away. I just thought it was going to be a lot, but credit to the Wildcats for, for getting that game won. But it was it was a game that lived up to grand final building and, and what you want to see uh, come this time of year. Absolutely. Now, let's, let's go back to last Thursday night. We had the two game three to the semifinal series. First up, we were in Sydney for the Sydney Kings and Melbourne United, and it was going to take something remarkable from the Kings to turn around what had happened only only three days early when they lost by 45 points in that in that game to in Melbourne, but they were able to do it. wasn't pretty. They ended up winning 89 to 87. They had to come from behind. Melbourne Melbourne looked like they were going to run away with the game at a, at a couple of periods there in the in the second and third quarters. Chris Golding caught fire in the first half. He had 19 points. Didn't end up scoring in the second half. 
it went right down to the wire. There's a couple of mistakes late from Melbourne, which hurt, and there was one point where Chris Golding had the ball knocked out of his hands. It came off him. He could have grabbed it to stop it going out of bounds, but he didn't. The ball went Sydney's way. They got possession, and ultimately, with time running out, that proved to be the final sort of possession of the game that decided the result, but there was plenty more that went into it before that. What did you make of the game if you've had a chance to either see it live while you were preparing for Thursday in Perth, or if you've had a chance to catch up on it since? Yeah, well, I was really trying to watch it live. I was hoping RSC Arena would put it up on the <laughs> on the board, but they wouldn't. I was trying to run around. You know, the internet wasn't working. My phone, there was too many people <laughs> logged in on the Optus network, I think. And so I couldn't watch it live. I was asking people for updates. Um, saw a little bit of it afterwards. And and I just thought that the Sydney Kings, you know, they they did enough. But I guess if you're Melbourne United, you're kicking yourselves from that game one. You know, when they had that game one pretty much sealed, 16 yeah. up with six minutes to go, you're going to be hard to to lose that one. That's that's the one that if I'm Melbourne United, I'm you know that that's a hard one to swallow uh, to lose that. They had their chances. I thought. You know, going to changing up the lineup. We talked about that in the show last week. I thought Will Weaver needed to make that change, get bring Xavier Cook um, off the bench. He's, he's more suited at that four or five than in the starting lineup in the three. And, and newly came in, he, he played pretty well. And I, I thought that kind of helped change things a little bit. You need to do something. You lost by 45. So mm. obviously being at home helped. And, uh, you know, they did enough. That sometimes it's not going to be pretty, but they, they, they got the job done. You picked it. You thought Sydney would be able to turn it around. What made you confident that after such a poor game two, and even a poor game one outside of the last five minutes, what gave you confidence they could still turn it around? I just know playing at home in a in an elimination game, game three, is the toughest yeah. um, from our opposition point of view. I mean, the crowd is so so into it. You make any big play, and all of a sudden that that plays magnified two to three times because of the crowd and the, the adrenaline that you get from that. So I just found it always really tough in an elimination game. We don't see it very often in the NBL, That's just, mm. which is kind of why I always feel like if you're going to win a series, you got to get that, especially when you don't have home court advantage, you got to get that game won because then you, you really put the pressure on the other team. And that's the kind of one I just think going in an elimination game, it's always tough. And that's why I picked the, the home teams there. Um, even though Melbourne United had smacked Sydney Kings by 45 and just a few days earlier. Then we went to the game three at RSA Arena, the Wildcats and the Taipans. This one was much harder to predict just because of how tight the series had been up until that point. Um, it was a, it was a tough game to, to predict what was going to happen for most of the way as well. We, we remarkably, we saw Bryce Cotton and Cam Oliver both scoreless for the entire first half. Obviously, Oliver changed that in the second half, had 20 points and, and gave Cairns a sniff. But ultimately, I think Nick Kay, Nick Kay and Tariko White, they were, they were the differences. With it. From a Wildcats point of view, you needed Tariko to step up at some point, and he did it in game three in, in an elimination game, 26 points, including his fourth quarter. His fourth quarter was what sealed the deal, and, and Nick Kay was outstanding all, all night. And at the start of this series, I thought that was the one matchup that really scared Cairns because... Oliver would have to spend time up against Plumlee. It left Majuk Deng to have to watch Nick Kay, and I thought it would end up hurting the Taipans, and, and it really did because because Kay ended up with 24 points, 12 rebounds in that in that game three. Again, it was a possession game. 16 offensive boards for the Wildcats proved to be massive as well to, to give them 
extra shots, and that's why they won the game. But it was a, a brave fight from the Taipans once again. But ultimately, if you if you take more shots than the opposition, you're going to win more games than you you will lose. Yeah, I just think the little things got the Wildcats over the line. I thought Mitch Norton made some big plays in that fourth yeah, quarter with, with rebounding. And, and the fact that I think Mitch Norton and Damian Martin made some good adjustments that probably don't go noticed in the stats. But, um, you know, always going and getting those rebounds, if they're not going to guard you, if they're going to go double-team Bryce Cotton, which was they were doing, and credit cans, I love their game plan. on, on You know, they were able to stop Bryce Cotton. Basically, mm-hmm. almost six of the eight quarters of that, or uh, I guess, sorry, 10 of the 12 quarters yeah, of that, that whole series, you know, five points. And for the Wildcats to win five points from Bryce Cotton is a uh, is a heck of a job by, by Cans and, and DJ Newble, especially, you know. But, the, you know, they, they made those adjustments, and, and it just felt like I was watching the game, sideline. Those teams were – both teams were exhausted going into that last mm-hmm. two minutes. Um, they just made some uncharacteristic errors. And, uh, you know, Trico White hit some big shots. Nick Kay was fantastic. He was really good in the first half. I thought he kind of tired a little bit in the second half as well. But he's just showing his, his worth to this team and, and just how consistent he is as well. But it was a uh, yeah, brave fight by Kans. They, you know, they were down by 18, I think, at one yeah, stage. And they brought it back. I think there was that turnover where they had a two-on-one possession. I think it might have been Nubel and, and uh, Majak Dang, and they, they turned that one over, and you just kind of felt like that was the momentum that, that the Wildcats need to yep. get back, um, gain a little bit of control. Had had Can scored that, I think it would have made it to a, maybe a one-point game or something. Um, yeah, I think it might and, have been. That might have been when it was five points, so they would have brought it back to three. So brought it back to one possession, to yeah. He ended up with the ball back in his hands, which wasn't the right play to make. And that's where you go back. You look at a season and it comes down to one or two possessions. You know, they had that three at the end of game one um, to potentially win it. I mean, all these little things can go into determine. And who knows if Kansas got past the Wildcats, they very easily could have, could have won the, won the championship. So it's a, um, you know, it's the little things that go in to, to make a championship team, not alone. You know, you got to have the talent, but, um, yeah. but then you've got to go out and make it happen. I thought Walcott's did a few little things better than Cairns, and that was probably a difference. So after those two game threes, did you feel like we had the best two teams in the grand final? Obviously, sitting in first finish in the top two positions. Did you, did, did you come away feeling like they were the best two teams? Yeah, you do. I do feel like Cairns a little bit unlucky. I, I actually think they're a tougher matchup for the Wildcats than the Kings are. Yeah. Um, and the way they defend and how they can um, how they can get after it. So it's uh, I I do feel for Cairns. I feel like they had a great year. Love the balance of their teams, their imports. Um, they might have just ran out a little bit of juice, and um, in the end, uh, you know, a couple uh, missed free throws there at the end by. By DJ Newble as well. I just kind of felt those those little errors at the end of the game in Game Three, um, and that's I guess that's the benefit of getting a home court advantage. Let's have a little chat chat about those two teams that did end up missing missing out. So we're talking Melbourne United first. They ended up just finding a way to limp into the finals, really, because they left themselves with a lot of work to do. But once they got there, they were playing fantastic basketball for the first 34 minutes of that game one. Their game three performance might have been the most dominant performance any team's ever delivered in a NBL playoff game. And then they still gave themselves a chance in game three, especially in the first half. They were, they were pretty good. How did you come away 
feeling about Melbourne season. When coming into it, there was high hopes on them because we all thought that after their appearance in the last two grand finals, at least offensively, adding Sean Long and Mello Trimble, that this was potentially a better team, especially if Casey Prather could, could stand up. Yeah, I thought they, they, they did. They made some, some changes there. They, they were definitely improving at the end of the year. To me, their, their issue was always on the defensive side of the ball, mm-hmm. you know, just yeah. having that commitment. Obviously, you know, Chris Golding is a, is a great offensive player and I thought he think he's improved defensively, but that's not his strength. Yeah. Um, and I just thought they probably had too many guys great on the offensive end and, okay on the defensive end and uh you know that's why they were giving up 100 points a game mm-hmm. it seemed like on a, on a weekly basis so i think they've got to look at it from find that right mix of guys that can defend and, and create havoc but then also put put some points on the board so i didn't think they probably had that correct this year as lo- much as i love sean long you kind of got two guys there are mellow trimble that are that are pretty offensive orientated so i think you've just kind of maybe got to try and find a mix mixed in there you look at a casper Ware when they won the championship you know he's a great two-way player uh he's probably not as great a score as mellow trimble but he does so many things and i think you know when you get two offensive guards when you've got chris golden you got to match him up with a uh with a great two-way point guard i think that's um that to me that would be the key for for melbourne united next next year um i don't think mellow trimble and sean long long term is, is the right solution. Mm-hmm. I think you can maybe keep Sean Long and then go get a but then also Sean Long's gotta find out he's gotta stay out of foul trouble as well. We saw that in game three. That's that's gotta be one of the things that he's got to improve on to be able to get to that championship caliber. Ask anyone out of Melbourne and they will say that the referees were the reason they lost that game three. You've had a bit of time to look back on it. Did they have a point? Oh I think that you're yeah, there's gonna be there's gonna be calls that are that are tough. But to me, you go back and say, well, game one, you know, you had your chance. You're up 16 with six minutes to go and you're shooting tested fadeaway threes, three seconds into a shot clock. Like it's those things just just can't happen. Um, So that would be where you would be more upset to me if uh, if I was a Melbourne United fan. We just got to, you know, just play smart basketball and and you're going to you're going to get there. But a lot easier said than done. Yeah, I think you're right. The. The biggest complaint they've got to make is the fact that they got to a game three at all, because that from their point of view, it just shouldn't have the way how well they played in the first two games. But that's that's what happens if you don't finish off a game and, and a team like Sydney a sniff at, at the end of that game one. So that that's Melbourne. What about the Cairns Titans? They were a long way back this time last year. They were coming off winning just six games. Mike Kelly coming off his first season as coach, and they ended up having a massive turnover of players. Only two fully contracted guys ended up coming back, DJ, or maybe three, Jared Kenny, DJ Newbelin, and Nate Jowai. The rest of them were new arrivals, and in the end, they got their imports right. They got Cam Oliver, they got Scott Machado, and bringing DJ Newbel back. Majul Deng ended up being a terrific addition, so did Mirko Jarek. We saw him hit his four threes in about four minutes on, on Thursday in that game three. They just got their roster right. They looked like they were well coached, and... They got the ultimate, ultimately, they got the very best out of themselves and and they got very close to a grand final. I think it's a season that they should be immensely proud of. Yeah, I mean, you're, there's always going to be a few changes um, each each offseason. But if you look at Cairns, they've got to get those three imports on. 
ASAP. I know it's going to be hard. Um, they're going to be in demand from a lot of teams um, around the world, I would imagine, mm-hmm. um, with the performances they put up there. So obviously, I think your, your first um, signing has to be Machado if you can get him. You know, they probably have to wait potentially on maybe even some NBA interest and, and that type of thing. But, you know, if you can get those guys to sign, that's that's got to be your, your first priority. And then everything else falls falls in line from there. You think it's possible? You think it's possible that that all three of those guys, Newville Machado and and Oliver, will be back in Orange next year? Uh, I, I don't think they could get Machado and and Cam Oliver. I think they could get Newville. I think yeah, yeah. Um, trying to get and maybe that's where you know if they're not going to be able to get both. Get at least one. Um, you know, you might have to top them up quite a bit uh, to compete with some other teams that are that are interested. But you got to at least get one of those guys. If if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick Machado, just yeah. because I think he makes all the rest of the guys better around him. Yeah, I just hope that they don't get poached by another NBL club. If they ended up getting poached by an overseas club who can offer something that the NBL can't, then you just have to live with that. But I hope if they're playing in the NBA next season that it's with Cairns because they, they were such a great story this year. They great, created such a great environment up there. The team had great chemistry. I just hope that if they play in the NBL that it's it's with the top end. So we'll, we'll wait and see. Yeah, well, yeah, but you, you say that, but the, the history tells you that usually the Brisbane Bullets go after the Cairns type fans <laughs> import. So, uh, so they could be making a move a little bit down south in the Queensland there to uh, Brisbane, potentially, uh, if history repeats itself. Well, if you had Machado alongside Nathan Sobey and Jason Cadet, that's a, that's a pretty celebrating backlog, isn't it? you take that if you're the Bullets next year? Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, throwing Lamar Patterson, potentially, yeah. you'd have uh, an exciting, even you could almost throw those guys one, two, three, four. You could. Now, we'll, we'll have a look at game one of the grand final in a, in a minute, Sean, but I want to... Here's our interview for this week first, and I, I have caught up with Rob Beveridge, a man that obviously you know incredibly well. When you go back, it's 10 years ago now, a little bit more than 10 years ago, when you celebrated a championship with him as your coach. When he arrived as a coach, what was it that changed both in you to turn yourself from a great player who put up huge numbers to a player that was able to play in a championship-winning team? And what changed about the organisation to take you from a team, a team that was just making finals and not quite taking that next step to being able to take the next step. Yeah, I think Bevo has a great job of building that loyalty within the team. Um, and obviously when he came in, he brought in uh, some guys that uh, that he really loved um, coaching in, in his junior and then also also at the um, at the Razorbacks or Spirit, I guess, yeah. as they were at the at the end of their their tenure there in, in West Sydney. So I think that, and he just, he just came in, he just always held us accountable, but you always felt like he, he really had that belief in you as well. Um, gave you a lot of confidence. I remember him just, um, you know, when Kevin Lish first came in the league and, you know, sometimes, sometimes your imports, you, they come in and they don't take too many shots. He really had to encourage Kevin Lish. Hey, you count, you come here. You know, you are an import in this league. You're not just a, uh, you, you know, you're not eighth, ninth, tenth guy that's trying to to fit into a team. So um, he really got the best out of out of Kevin, and you could just see after a few games and, and Bevo really pushing the butt of the growth of of Kevin as well. So I think he really understood players and. and the, the buttons that needed to be pushed and you just built a, a, a great culture around it as well. And, and it was an enjoyable way to play 
Um, you know, get up and down. We were pressing when you got Damian Martin, Brad Robbins. I still remember when he was telling me, um, you know, we had, when he came in, there was only a couple guys that, that stayed around yeah. in that, that changeover from, from Scott Fisher and, and Connor Henry. Um, I was fortunate to be one of them, but. You know, saying that we, we've got Damian Martin and you knew him as, as a defense and obviously Brad Robbins, um, was saying, I'm like, well, we've got two defensive point guards. How are we, how are we going to score and how are we going to win? But when you've got two elite defensive point guards, it, uh, you know, it just caused havoc for the other yeah. team. And, you know, I was a bit concerned, uh, thinking how, how are we going to score? But, uh, we, you know, we just scored with our defense and, and we're able to get up in full court pressure and it was a fun way to play. Uh, and then when you had yourself and you had Luke Center and you had you had Stevie Wayne, Martin Catalani and you had Kevin Lynch and you had Drew Williams and you, you found ways to score as well. Um, tricky question, Sean. Well, how did you feel when Bebo left as a coach? Yeah, it was an interesting kind of transition there. I think there were some things kind of going on behind the scenes with the club. I probably don't know all the ins and outs there. Um, you know, I thought you know, Bevo had done a, an incredible job. I mean, we weren't really in the championship contention before he came. Mm-hmm. We were kind of sitting in that probably anywhere from fourth to eighth every year. Um, and then he comes in, we win the championship the first year and barring, I mean, you kind of think of the error of that, um, that the Wildcats have had eight of the last 11 championships. I, you know, and this is part of it and credit to New Zealand, but I, I just kind of felt like if, if Kevin Lish and Damian Martin had been, healthy that that one season um in game three where they could bar- barely walk um i thought we would have had a lot better chance of winning that one and we still still had our chances there and then damian martin did his achilles um going into grand final series again and so you know barring those two injuries potentially to your starting point guards uh you know you could be looking at almost you know seven, eight championships over an 11 year period. So, um, and who knows, Bevo could still be, still be the coach of the Wildcats. So it's, it's those little things. Um, but you know, I think he definitely changed, uh, changed the culture in in a positive way. And then a lot of those guys that he brought in, Jesse Wagstaff, Greg Heyer, um, Damian Martin, those guys are, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be legends around the club for a long time. For sure. All right, let's get to it. Let's get to my chat with Rob Beveridge now. Okay, very honoured to be joined by a guest probably. We're on episode 20 here of Hoop 7's Basketball Hustle and this guest is probably 20 shows in the making given the history that he's got with both me and with, with Sean, obviously. So let's not waste any more time. He's one of the greatest basketball coaches in Australia, not just the NBL, but for everything that he's done right throughout his coaching life. He's a, he's a basketball legend in Australia. Let's not put any finer, finer coding on it. Rob Beveridge, thanks very much for joining me. Thanks, mate. Uh, yeah, that was uh, a nice introduction there and very, very humbling. Now, a lot of people have seen you on the sidelines, whether it was at the Razorbacks, at the Sydney Spirit, at the Wildcats, and most recently at the Illawarra Hawks, but you've been missed the last 12 months. Can you fill us in on what you've been up to? Yeah, so I finished up with the Hawks back in uh, March last year, at the end of the season, and uh, had to be right uh, to the point I was burnt out. Yeah. You know, I just just had enough. Um, I've been in the league a very, very long time, and uh, it, it's a real grind. And uh, I just got to a point that uh, I, I really, truly needed a break. And uh, it was, you know, I was off contract, and uh, it, it, it was time for me to, to move on. You, you just, you know, the writing was on the wall. You saw everything. And it was time to move on. So I took uh, about 
about three months off. And uh, I always knew I was leaving at the end of the, the season, so I budgeted financially to be able to make sure that I could pay all the bills and stuff like that. And uh, you know, I'm very lucky I've got a, a wonderful, supportive wife and family and stuff like that. So really, I, I got I almost did nothing. You know, just had to get away from everything to do with basketball and uh, became like a, a stay-at-home dad and worked around the house. And you know, we bought a house here in Wollongong that we renovated, so I did, did a lot of work there and really just uh, became you know, a house house dad and started doing the, the cooking, the cleaning and the ironing and all of those things. Not very well, but I got in and uh, so my wife, was, she's the one that went out and did all the work and she carried me, which was uh, absolutely fantastic. She probably carried me most of my life, but uh, <laughs> It, it was good just to have that break, and uh, so that was probably around three months where I was just uh, around trying to, you know, I guess, physically, mentally, and trying to re-identify who I was and things like that, uh, which was great. And then uh, I was lucky enough to be appointed uh, head coach of the, the World University Games team, yeah. so I took took the team away over to Italy, and uh, that, that that was just uh, incredible. You know, just worked with tremendous staff and, and uh, great players and good players. We, we, we had a lot of fun. You know, we, we got in and we ended up winning a bronze medal and we are actually only off uh, one point off getting to the gold medal game. So, so that, that was just an amazing experience. And it probably gave me the, the, the love of the game back a bit as well because, yeah. you know, as I said, the NBL, you know, I've had a wonderful career and things like that, but, but it can become a grind. And you do at times you need a break, and uh, it happens to a lot of coaches. And uh, I needed to do it, but just having time off, going and coaching the national team really sort of energised me. And uh, and then after that, I, I started what. You know, my own, if you want to call it business, uh, but I identified a, a region in uh, Western New South Wales, uh, particularly the drought-stricken areas. That uh, they're, they're probably neglected is not the word. They're just not serviced. You know, it's such a you know, big state. There's not enough resources. So I started working in the western regions of New South Wales. I started running camps in. Uh, you know, Wagga, Griffith, Leap, Dutto, Narandra, West Wylong, you know, Orange, a whole region out out the west. So I sort of did road trips uh, most weekends. I'd be uh, driving in the car and just uh, working with young kids under 12s, 14s, 16s and 18s and, and really just uh, getting back to grassroots. And uh, it was just wonderful just to, to go back and, and teach the game again when you didn't have to deal with uh, everything from you know, the the, the professional players to the owners to the sponsors to the fans the social media everything like that so it was it was uh, incredibly rewarding just to get out and uh, work with uh, that back at grassroots and uh, also uh, very very passionate with coach education so done a lot of work with different associations throughout New South Wales uh, as well so even did some stuff in Bendigo and Bunbury mm-hmm. so it was good to get back to WA and and uh, also, uh, I've been working with FIBA for many, many years now, so doing some contract work for them. Although I've taken time off, I've been uh, pretty busy <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, and just like you said, recently through FIBA, you've taken some trips to Asia, including just getting back from Jakarta last week. With coronavirus right now, what's what's travelling overseas been been like? How much is how much is it different right now? Yeah, well, I was only in the Philippines two weeks ago, and I uh, was in uh, Jakarta last week. It was really different in the sense that the airports, there's nobody there. They're all, yeah. you know, it was amazing, and uh, I actually had to fly back via Hong Kong, and uh, yeah, when we were on the plane, probably 98% of the people on the plane all had face masks, and mm. everybody uh, had prevented, it was very, very, you know, they had 
thermal cameras there taking temperature. They had people you know, with little uh, little gun type things putting on your forehead to measure your core temperature and stuff like that. So, so there was a lot lot of things like that. Um, you know, involved uh, while you're in the airports and things like that. But, but, but um, particularly the you know Philippines and Indonesia, there was probably nobody wearing any masks. There was no real concern about anything over there. You know, people just were going uh, about their business, and people can go and get toilet paper without any hysteria. Um, but uh, it, it was. Um, it didn't appear to be any problems, and uh, you know when you really do the research, the majority of the, the, the cases. I mean, I know it's a very, very serious case, but particularly where I was in Jakarta, in the Philippines, where it's very hot, very humid, yeah. uh, there's less cases in there because of the the heat factor. Where I think majority of the cases that are happening are, are in the colder climate and uh, stuff like that. But we're saying that I was very, very conscious. Uh, you know, always washing hands, always have sanitizer solution, and you know, all, all, you know Pretty much, you know, you, you just keep to yourself and stuff like that and uh, try and do as, as much what you can do with hygiene and as you can. And uh, as I said, you know, it was never, you know, there's no thought process, particularly in Indonesia or uh, uh, the Philippines at this stage. They're very aware of it, but there's no panic. And I think that's a little bit different from, uh, from here. We're saying that, you know, I, I don't speak their language and didn't watch TV, so, mm. so that probably helped. I think a lot of us who have been involved in the NBL for a long time would admit that it's just not the same without you being involved as a head coach, and we've noticed that this season. But from your point of view, it seemed like it was it was just a good time to take a break. Have you have you taken a break from watching the league this year as well, or have you kept a close eye, close eye on things? Well, as a matter of fact, I've, uh, I took a job also uh, working for the Washington Wizards as their NBA scout here in Australia. Oh, so, okay. yep. so, so I actually did uh, get to see a lot of games because yep. you know I had to report back on you know, the Lamelo Balls sure. and Hamptons and and uh, write reports on all the you know the stars in the league and stuff like that. So, so I actually did get to a lot of games, but uh, you know, I sort of went under the radar. For, you know, sat at the back of the stadium and my little hat, glasses, and moustache <laughs> on and stuff like that, but. Uh, yeah, it was. I did see a lot of basketball this year, yeah, and uh, you know I watched nearly you know most games. So uh, although I've nothing to do with it, yeah. uh, I'm still there. You know, I've been behind the scenes watching it, and it's given me a good opportunity to watch where other coaches do close, more closely, yeah. and more players and stuff like that. So it's it's actually been a, a pretty good situation not to be involved, uh, you know, hands on, but sort of behind the scenes. Now that we've got to the grand final and we're one game into the grand final series between the Kings and the Wildcats, do you do you feel like we've got the right two teams in the grand final or what did you make of the semi-final series? Yeah, look, I, I think so. Uh, yeah, number one, number two. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you know, I think Sydney did a, a remarkable job of, of recruiting. Uh, there's no, no question that uh, you know, they've got an enormous amount of talent there and they have a system of play that uh, obviously has worked very, very well for them to finish in top spot. You know, obviously, you know, my old team, the Wildcats, uh, mm. they've been there, they've done that. Uh, you know, it was one of those things that you could never, ever write them off. You know, I always did that from day dot. And I was lucky enough to coach them for many years and, you know the culture of the club. You know their winners. You, they've got, you know, you know, Bryce Cotton's the you know best player in the league, and then you've got the, the best glue player in Australia in, in Nick Kay. You know he just does does everything, and, and of course you've got the leadership of Damo and experience of Jesse. So you, you've got a lot of pieces there, and, and some talent. So to me, probably the two best teams are there, and it's yeah. um, right now it's going to be a hell of a battle. Yeah. 
when you watch a series like this and you, and you have a look at the amount of guys that you've had such a huge impact on, if you have a look at Damian Martin and Kevin Lynch, Jesse Wagstaff, even Andrew Bogan and Brad, Brad Newell, if you go back to the, to that Emmys team, obviously Nick Kay and, and Mitch Norton as well. Um, I'll probably miss some, some guys there as well. You must take a lot of pride in what you've been able to achieve as a coach to help these guys get to the point of their careers that, that they have. Yeah, I think that, that's probably one of the, the, the great things about coaching is the influence that you have on people's lives. Mm. Um, you know, it's one of those things that, yeah, you know, I would have loved to win more championships. It would have been absolutely incredible, but uh, you know, sometimes, you know, shit happens. So we had injuries uh, a couple of times you know, with Damo and you, know, you sort of look back and, uh, you know, if, if he wasn't injured when, when I was coaching, we would have won another two championships and stuff like that. But but it, it's just amazing just to watch the journey of these players that, uh, you know, Damo's you know, 35 years of age now and at the end of his career and to watch him go from where he has he's, he's married he's got kids and you know, that's the whole thing it's like a circle of life type thing and and uh, to, to be part of their lives for such a long period of time is is probably the the best part of coaching is uh you know, the friendships that you make with the players uh, particularly after they've uh, finished playing sean talked about it before i i jumped on on to speak to you this week and he talked about the the change that happened at the Wildcats when you took over as coach, both to the club and also to him as a player, whereas he went from a player that was putting up huge numbers. He was a great individual player. That's why he was the scoring machine, but he didn't necessarily help his team win or get to the point where they're a championship contender, but also the club at that time were a team that, but they were in a rut of finishing between fourth and eighth and sort of being a quarterfinal, semifinal type team, but not a genuine championship contender. I mean, when you go back 11 years now, how were you able to turn Sean Redditch into one of the great winners the NBL's ever seen? And how were you able to, I mean, you deserve a lot of the credit for this era of the Wildcats. How were you able to begin that this winning era for the Wildcats? Yeah, it's a uh, yeah, good question. I think, uh, you know, I guess just the philosophy that I've always had is that it's uh, you know, it's uh, it's about the athlete. You know, it's not about me as the coach. It's not about the actual club. It's about, you know, the people in the club. And I've always had that philosophy that we want to put the, everybody in an environment and to, to be successful. And, and that, the thing is, uh, I looked at successful models of, of teams that are so good. You know, the Manchester United, you know, the, you know, the Hawthorne Football Club or the Collingwood Football Club at the time, you just look at things that they did and they always emphasise developing the, 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 the athlete and the player. So that's all I he probably did was the biggest thing when I went to Perth was be allowed to build an infrastructure structure of, of having uh, great coaches, so having psychologists, having doctors, physios, nutritionists, putting things in place to make the athlete the best that they can be. And I think you don't isolate any one player or anything like that, but every single player that I coach, I want them to be better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when, when I go in and start coaching a player, it's like we're, we, we, we're making a contract to each other, yep. you know, like. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to make you the best player. And in return, you, you, you got to put in, you know. So it was, I think it was just to, uh, trying to build relationships with every single player in the team to, to ensure that when they get out there, they give nothing but 100%, they give their heart and soul. Because uh, at the end of the day, that's what I give to them and that's what I expect back from them. And I think that was probably one of the biggest things was, you know, sometimes in professional sport there was just so much – pressure on win 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 at all cost type thing and i think that it shows that when you do go in with that mentality it becomes very selfish mm. you know it becomes all about 
you and there's a fear factor that if you don't perform, you get fired. And really, I try to eliminate the fear factor that as long as you go out and do your job to the best of your ability, you'll keep your job. My job is to make you better. Yeah, so really, I just try to change the mindset of, uh, of of how they went about their business. And uh, that's what I've found works for me. You, know, you, you put him in a position to succeed. And uh, you know, in Sean's case, you know, he's a scoring machine. He's great at certain things. But you know, he had flaws in his game that he was prepared to work at to become a better player. And when he became better and understood the game more and you've got everybody on the same page, that's when uh, things started to to work real well for the club. Yeah, for sure. Um, Another thing I'm fascinated to get your thoughts on, I I haven't spoken to you about this, I'm not sure how you view it, but a lot of people assume because you were coaching the Wildcats that you were, I guess, spending a lot of money in terms of your salary cap. But if you have a look at the seasons you were coaching, you, you went into each season with the one import because that was the club's philosophy at the time and then it was remarkable to watch that the season after you left after you'd got them to two straight grand finals and you were terribly unlucky because of injuries to Damien Martin in both years and Kevin Lish as well in this in that first first of those two years it come grand final time but then all of a sudden you left as a coach and you know Trevor Gleeson deserves a lot of credit for what he's been able to achieve so I don't want to take anything away from him but all of a sudden the club was willing to invest in not only two imports, but two imports who were James Ennis and Jermaine Beale. But then it, something similar happened at the Illawarra Hawks this year, this season, where <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it, I don't know, but I imagine they were probably the lowest paying club when you were coaching them last season. But then all of a sudden this year, that they were willing to go out and spend big on Aaron Brooks and Josh Boone and obviously to bring in Lamelo Ball as well. And all of a sudden, I think they would have been spending a lot more money on their players than they did while you were coaching. Does that how how does how do those things sit with you when you when you look back? Yeah, it's yeah, it, it is. There's a trend there. There's no yeah. question. There's a trend, and uh, you know, I, I believe that. You know, I, I like to build clubs. You, know, you you take it from nothing and you build it to something, and uh, you you got to add something in every year. And uh, you know, obviously after I left the Wildcats and uh, you know, moved on from there, and you know, ended up in Asia and uh, stuff like that. But all of a sudden, Kevin Lish leaves, and you know, I leave, and then mm. bang, it's like uh, you know, the checkbook got opened. And geez, I would have loved to be able to you know, ha- have players like that you know on the mm-hmm. roster yeah you know, the talent and uh, it's the same at last year as well that you know very very low budget and yeah. stuff like that and then all of a sudden you know I'd be very keen to know where the money came from mm-hmm. to be able to do that but you know I guess you know it is what it is you know I've, I've no regrets I, I know that uh you know I, I did gave nothing but my heart and soul and, and did want the best that I could to develop the you know the players the club and uh, you always want to hand hand on the, the club to, to uh, the next person that takes over in, in a better position. And uh, I've got no doubt that uh, I did that with Perth and I uh, did that with Illawarra. So really it's up to how the coach has done it. And you know, Trevor's done a remarkable job. There's no, no question that uh, you had the core group there, a bunch of winners that, you know, that uh, can get it done. And then you add a couple of superstars in and uh, you know, you're driving a Ferrari and he's done a wonderful job of driving it. You know, he's, he's done that. He's won championships and you know, all, all credit to him. Yeah, I mean, I... I mean, I, I guess I just wish that you'd had a good run at, at some point where your team didn't get key players injured at the wrong time and you were, you also had a, had a club management behind you that was spending the money that they've spent since you were there while you were coaching and I guess you had had at least one season during your career where you were actually driving that Ferrari that you talked about. I just think you were yeah. the absolute best out of every team you've coached. I just I just wish you had that chance and, and maybe you still will one day. I mean, you, you certainly yes. got plenty of, of time left. 
Yeah, you know, who knows? He said, uh, you know, I did what I could do at the time under the circumstances. And uh, he said, you know, I walk, walk with my head held high and know that I, you know, I did a great job there and all the best I could anyway. And uh, so, yeah, I guess you know, one of my, obviously, when you look at regrets, is that we didn't win more championships. You know, I do, I look at, I kick out and go, and you know, I know absolutely hand on heart that Damien Martin hadn't snapped his Achilles and hadn't done his ankle and, the list wasn't injured that uh, we would have won those championships yeah. and uh, you know, we, we were pretty confident within our group but uh, you go in you one hand tied behind your back in the grand final series with little prep and might sound like an excuse but uh, you know, I know that I mean, Damo's proved that you know, he's uh, you know, one of the greatest leaders of, of, of men and uh, you know He's won, you know, he might win his sixth championship yeah. now. And, uh, you know, I just wish that I could have been part of more of it. No, I don't think it's an excuse. I think it's just reality. I mean, even go back to 2011, Sean had his his injury that could have ended his career. That happened mid-season. If you have Sean come finals time that season, you probably go back to back and and you never know what, what happens from there. But, I mean, away from basketball, Bevo, everyone knows that family's everything to you. What's it? What's it like now, knowing that you've been able to have such a successful marriage for so long? But you have a look at your kids now, and they're they're grown up. I mean, I remember meeting meeting you and your family eleven years ago when you first came to Perth, and now I see your kids, and they're all grown up. What's it? What's it like being a husband and a dad and seeing your family grow as they have? Yeah, that's that's uh, amazing, and uh, I could not be a basketball coach without my family. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, there have been situations we sit down and you know my kids say to me, Dad, this is what you do. You are a basketball coach. You know, you sort of think, oh, no, it's time to move on and blah, blah, blah. And, and then, uh, you know, like when the Wollongong job came up all those years ago, it was something like, I, I, I swear I did not want to do it. Yes. Didn't want to do it. I said, no, nah, don't, don't want to touch it. But my kids sat me down going, this is what you do. You know, you, you go in and you take something from, from nothing and build it and stuff like that. So, so they give me the confidence. They, they give me the, the, the green light to do that. And, uh, you know, I've been married 25 years now uh, to one, an amazing woman. You know, she, she keeps me honest. Mm. You know, she keeps me level-headed. You know, as I said, right, you know, when I finished up, you know, I, I'm the one at home that is attempting to do the cooking, cleaning, ironing, drop, kids drop off, pick up, all of those things. So she, keep, she keeps me honest. And, uh, you know, I've got a very, 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 small circle of friends yeah it's it's really important that you keep your, your circle small because in this industry yeah it's it's been really really interesting everything from when i was coaching west sydney that folded through to then you're the, the wildcats and then you're with you know, the hawks a lot of people come out of the woodwork mm. and they want to be your mate yeah. And then when things go to shit, they go pear-shaped or whatever it might happen, where are they? So it's been really, really an incredible journey and experience to see who your true friends are. Yeah. But what's really important is my family has been there every single step of the way. And, uh, you know, I, I grow up and my son's only 22. You know, he wants wow. to be a basketball coach. He's done a wonderful job. My daughter's 18 at university and, you know, kicking goals and then my 14 year old yeah he, he he's he's a hooper yeah. you know and uh, so i've got an amazing amazing family that uh, allows me to do what i do and be right now said so i've had a you know, a good good 12 month break you know i'm refreshed i'm ready you know i'm pumped to get on the next chapter and a uh, new journey in my life fantastic um just quickly we'll hold let you go in a second bevo what happens the rest of this grand final series yeah, look, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I thought that Sydney, um, you know, having home court advantage, we're, we're going to win three two. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but you know, right now, I think it's reversed. I think the, the, the Wildcats hung in there enough. You know, I just thought that, you know, Kings, you know, they had their opportunities right by 11 and put it to bed. But the thing is, the Wildcats know how to win. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things. I just think, you know, they're always going to be there. As long as you've got Bryce Cop that can go for 30, 40 points mm-hmm. a game. They can get you, you know, offensive, get you going. Same with Tariko White. You know, he, he proved last year how, how potent he can be. They've got the pieces of the puzzle to do it. Now they, they're back in Perth and, you know, they're, they're up 1-0 in Perth. So the pressure is going to be on Sydney to, to, to win win back that home court advantage. And you know, right right now it's going to be very, very tough. And you know, But having this week break I think is going to probably help both teams. And yeah. uh, I know what it's like in Perth. You know, the travel over there is difficult. You know, the, you know, the Red Army is incredible. It, it is probably one of the most intimidating arenas uh, in, in Australia. So uh, I think, I think uh, Sydney are up against it at the moment. We'll wait and say I could keep talking to you all day, Bevo, but I do need to let you go. But just touching on... What you mentioned before about finding out the people who I guess are your true friends and and I guess in, from my point of view I can probably count on one hand the people who I know are genuine friends and people who would only talk to me if there's something in it in it for them and and you've always been an, a great friend of mine a great supporter of mine we worked closely together for a number of years and we've obviously stayed in touch since which I'm really grateful for so I'm forever grateful for our friendship we've developed and. As always, it's been a pleasure to talk to you and for the first time on a podcast because this is all new to me as well, so something new, but very much appreciative of you of you joining us. Thanks, Pikey. I absolutely love chatting to you anytime, mate. Okay, thanks to Rob Beveridge for that chat there. Very generous with his time as always. Hopefully you all enjoyed it. Sean, let's move on to your thoughts on Game 1 of the Grand Final now. It was only a few days after Game 3, but I feel like we didn't need to wait any longer. I think moving from a Thursday to a Sunday was a, was a, was a fair enough amount of time in between games. What were you expecting to happen going into this Grand Final series? Yeah, well, I thought, I thought Sydney was going to get Game 1. I thought it was going to be tough for the Wildcats playing on the road. Um, looked like they were in control. That that three, I think it was Clint Steinle hit at the end of the third quarter. It just kind of mm. felt like it gave gave the Wildcats a bit of life, got them within kind of striking distance, and they just kept that scoreboard pressure. They weren't playing great. Obviously, Bryce Cotton was putting up some numbers, but no one else really was was shining. But uh, they they made the right plays. I thought, you know, Sydney probably. You know, Kevin Lish got hot there in that third quarter, and we didn't really see much of him later. Uh, you know, Bogut was hot in the first first half. Um, he wasn't involved in the action a little bit. I just thought they uh, they went away from some of the things that that probably uh, got them that lead and, and could have got them the win. And then obviously Casper Ware. I think he's just spending so much energy. I mean, you watch his defense on Bryce Cotton; it's pretty impressive. I mean, he's able to deny Cotton the ball. Most of the times, it's just the fact that when Cotton does get the ball, he's got no help then Mm. because the bigs are always sagging. I think the Sydney Kings are going to have to make some adjustments there. Credit the Wildcats. They they made their adjustments. They didn't do a lot of on-balls. They were setting more screens away for Bryce Cotton. So, um, you know, two, three stagger screens to try and get him open. 
Um, and we know how quickly he can release that ball when the ball gets in his hand. So um, they made some adjustments, and, and Bryce Cotton seems to like to play the Sydney Kings this mm-hmm. year and the way they, they kind of do that drop coverage, almost an NBA coverage type of thing. Uh, but when you got Bryce Cotton, you've got to change it up a little bit. I'm sure Will Weaver will make some changes similar to what Cairns probably did from game one to game two and three, and, and then, then it'll be on, on Trevor Gleason to make some changes um, and his players as well. But <laughs> no bigger shot in the game than that Damian Martin three after, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly what his shooting percentage over the last 10 games, but it was probably under 10%. So he steps up, tie ball game, bang, right there in the in the corner. And that, those are the type of shots Damian Martin's hits, you know, Statistically, that's not the great shot, but no. um, but Damian Martin uh, knows how to knock down those big ones when it matters. Well, he hadn't hit a he hadn't hit a three pointer since he returned from injury, and he he's still only shooting at eighteen point eighteen percent now for the season from three. But would have you still encouraged him to take that shot? Did he still do the right thing by taking it? Yeah, I probably some of the ones earlier in the game and in the last couple of games, uh, especially that Cans game. I think on the road he probably took some. They're giving them to him. That one he had to shoot. I mean, it was. I always say a three pointers a lot better percentage when you actually drive and get in the ball to the paint and kick out to the three pointer because a a guy knows that that's that's what the offense is designed for and you're uh, you're not second you're guessing yourself and and I think Damian Marson also likes the corner. It's a little bit shorter shot. Yep. And especially on that one, shooting shooting with his left hand in that in that right hand corner is um is favorable for him as well. I think you're right. I'd love to see see the percentages over his career. I would imagine that corner three, he might be somewhere around thirty percent for his career, I reckon up up towards the top of the arc he's probably closer to twenty. So I think he's I think you're right. It's a much better shot for him. Now that you brought up Damo, is this the last time we're gonna see him? Do you imagine this grand final series will be time for him to retire, or do you think there's a chance he goes on one more season? Look, I don't know. That's um, I, I guess ultimately it's got to be a, a question for Damo. Um, obviously, he's had some injuries the last couple of years. Uh, you know, I guess it's just a matter of sitting down with with Trevor and and the club. And one, I think the the question he needs to ask is, does he think his body can handle another full year of of NBL basketball too. Is he committed? Because if as you get older, you actually have to become more committed because yeah. it becomes tougher. So is he committed to put in the work and, and get the body get the body right? And then three, you know, it's going to be a different role for him. Is, is he is he okay with that role? So I think it's just those questions. Uh, you know, from from my heart says. Uh, yeah, I love watching Damian Martin play basketball and, and just the intensity. And even if he's, you know, he's clearly not 100% at the moment. Um, you know, I still think he's got some niggling injuries there, but he he will play as hard as he can and give you everything he's got when he's out there on the court. So, uh, you know, from from uh, a selfish point of view, it's, I hope it's not the last time we see him. But you also know that it is a real possibility, I think, at, at, at this stage. Someone in a similar position is Andrew Bogut. And there was a different looking bogey, especially in the first half in that game one. Finished with 18 points, 11 rebounds, three assists, and a block. And they, they really went to him offensively in the first half. And he got the better of Miles Plumley. And I think over the course of the game, he still had the better of that matchup, even though, like you said, he was pretty quiet in the second half. Did you like what you saw from Bogan in that game? 
I like it when Bo gets aggressive. I think yeah. he's a much better offensive player than Price gives himself credit mm-hmm. for. Um, you know, sometimes he's just so worried about trying to find that pass and almost looks a little bit almost too unselfish. I, mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, he made some right plays and I'd like to see him, you know, be more aggressive. I think the Sydney Kings are a much better team when he's, when he's aggressive on that that offensive end because then you know guys can't just play off him you know I thought Plumley probably needed to make an adjustment earlier to how he was defending Bogut I mean you can't just the guy's seven foot one you can't just yeah. stand under the under the ring and yeah. think he's just gonna miss um so uh it's a uh you know there'll be some some minor adjustments there and I think Bogut enjoys going up against another NBA caliber center uh yeah, okay. it's uh not not every day and enjoys that challenge so knowing, knowing him he, he He's got, he wants to prove himself against the best, and obviously Plumlee's been a starter in the NBA, so it's a uh, it's a good test for him. Same question that I asked about Damo. Given they're at the same point of their careers, basically, they started off in that 2003 MU's World Championship team together. Is this the last season we'll see of Andrew Bogut in the NBA? Uh, if, if I had to say, I would say Bogut's more likely to play on than mm-hmm. Damo. Yeah. Um, if I had to put a percentages on it, uh, but you never know. I mean, he, he's clearly not as, but I think, you know, he'll give, he'll give the Olympics a go that, you know, considering the Olympics are still going ahead. Um, but that's a story for another day. Um, but I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure on, on Bogut. I would say, say yes, but, um, but obviously that, you know, he's got to have those same, uh, those same thought process as Damo does and, and just as more, I think it's just more as their bodies can handle it yeah. and, and they're, they're prepared to, to go through a, another grueling uh, NBL season. Okay. Now looking towards games two and game three. So we've got game two at Perth Aries on Friday night and game three back in Sydney at Kudos Bank Arena on Sunday. If you're the Sydney Kings, what changes do you need to do after game one to put yourselves in a championship winning position? Couple things. I liked when they went with their kind of small three guard lineup. I thought when they had Lish, Sean Bruce, and Casper Ware out there, I thought that they uh, they looked they looked pretty tough. Uh, all three guys could come off the on balls. All three guys could shoot it. I think it's a that uh, I think Will Weavers kind of play with that lineup a little bit more. You know, I think you've got to gauge Casper Ware. Maybe put Kevin Lish on to save his legs, put Kevin Lish on Bryce Cotton. And then I think they've got to be more aggressive with Bryce Cotton. When he's coming off those on balls, I think they'll have to uh, be a lot more aggressive. Wildcats, I thought, actually, you know, Bryce Cotton had 32 points, but I actually thought they need to get the ball in his hands a little bit more, especially yeah. down in that fourth quarter. You could see Trevor Gleason was frustrated that, you know, they were denying Bryce Cotton. They weren't able to get him the ball in, in the crunch time and then probably didn't make the, the best decisions out of there. So they've got to, you know, maybe experiment a little bit more with, with Bryce Cotton at, at the one and, and have him bring the ball up because then he can create a little bit more and Tariqo White, get him, get him going. Clint Steindl was, was huge for them, but uh, getting Tariqo White going as well get that second big time score volume score and we you know you know what nick k is going to give you so you know and i think defensively as well they got to make that adjustment on bogut they can't just stand back off him you got to meet him a little bit higher and force him to shoot those shots a little bit farther out a lot of talk this week since that game game one about bryce cotton and the question's now starting to be asked is he among the discussion as the greatest import the NBL's ever seen. We've spoken before about what he needs to do to become the greatest Wildcat ever. Um, he's potentially already only behind Ricky Grace in that discussion. 
in your mind, what is it, where would he sit in terms of the greatest NBL imports of all time? Well, I think it's, I think, you know, the, the consensus is that, it, you know, it's cut probably too early. I mean, he's only played three yeah. and a half seasons. To me, it's a question, does Bryce Cotton want to be considered the greatest mm-hmm. import um, that that we've seen? Because I think that's a, a definite possibility for him if he chooses that. And that's the hard one because he now he's at this career. I mean, the guy could go anywhere and probably if he really wanted to and put his mind to it, could probably go back to the NBA and, and get some possibilities there. So yeah. does he want to kind of leave a legacy here in the NBL and Perth? Um, and if so, you know, it could be uh, do some incredible things or does he want a new challenge? I mean, that that's probably to me as a question for Bryce Cotton. And uh, you don't see guys at that level. Day. You know, you look at a guy like James Ennis and some of the guys that have come out here, they come out here for a couple of years and move on to that next thing. Uh, and I guess that's that's a question uh, that Bryce Cotton's got to, you know, does he want to cement his legacy here in Perth? And all by all accounts, he loves it here. And he, he loves playing in front of the Red Army and loves playing in the NBL. So obviously his teammates love him and, and the whole the whole city and state love him. But uh, it's, a, it's a matter of him. You know, I think over the next couple of years, probably the next two years, determining where he wants to be kind of long term. Because, um, you know, if he gets his potential citizenship and, and that type of thing, it's, uh, you know, he's got to be, got to be in that question, no doubt, as the greatest, uh, one of the greatest, mm. if not the greatest, uh, import to come out here. Yeah. So he's played 108 games so far. What do you think the cutoff game, game played would be before you can actually be in that discussion? Is it 200? Is that, that a fair moment? Yeah, probably. You know, I probably, you know, you probably got to look at a good six, seven years. As, as a sample size, you know, as great as James Ennis was in that first year and probably the most dominant player I've seen, you're not going to consider that just because of a, a longevity thing. So, and, and to be fair, I didn't know a whole lot about the NBL until 15 years ago when, when I came came out here. So it's, uh, you know, it's probably tougher for me to gauge that. I, I'd like to hear the opinions of guys, say, like Andrew Gaze and uh, those guys that have kind of been here, seen that whole spectrum of, of the NBL and, and the talent there. But it's a uh, it's an intriguing question. And no doubt it's for Bryce Cotton. It's uh, I'm sure for him, it's an honor that people are even considering it, yeah. considering it's only been three and a half years. Well, who's interesting in your mind? In your 15 years that you've seen, who would you say is the best import that's been in the league in that time? Well, for a while there, I would say, you know, just from a winning point of view, Cedric Jackson in those years he had at at the New Zealand Breakers was pretty pretty incredible. I thought Ebi Ari, mm-hmm. um, when he was with, uh, especially with the, the Brisbane Bullets and also, yep. I guess, the Sydney Kings as well, he had, um, you know, there was, there, there's been a number of guys that probably come out here for one or two years um, that have done some pretty impressive things. But I guess from Ma Tom, those, those two guys from an import point of view probably stick out as far as, as what they were able to accomplish. Any from your your point of view? Yeah, it's a good question. I'll stick to the same time frame. I think Cedric absolutely stands out just because he was such a winner. Um, I guess you've got to put Casey Prather in there, given he's played three seasons and won three championships. The interesting one, if you count Kevin Lish, first half of his, of his career, he was he was counted as an import. He was brilliant, and his accomplishments are, are right up there with, with anybody. But I guess it just it's just a matter of how much of his career you count as a, as an import, probably similar similar to yours. So. To me, I think if we if we focus on the 15 years that you've been here, I think Cedric is the standout um, just because of the fact that he he won so often at New Zealand and 
and he was at the centerpiece of that. Um, but yeah, you're right. Ebiara was fantastic. Even even his final season when he played at Adelaide, he was playing a role coming off the bench, but he was still dangerous. You had to had to keep it keep an eye on him. But yeah, I, I think Kevin Lynch deserves to be in that discussion too. It's just a just a matter of how much of his career you count as an import or not. Yeah, and I guess Kevin, you kind of you know he went away to Europe for a few years there, um, which kind of I think hurts him a little bit in, yeah. in that discussion. Sure. You know, a guy that's been able to you can play ten straight years and just dominate from there. But I mean, to go back to Bryce Cotton, I don't, haven't seen a three and a half year stretch a better player. That's, no that's no question. And I, I don't know the, the gods before me that three and a half years, but there's got to be, you've got to put him, there wouldn't be too many gods that would have uh, that stretch of, from not only from a numbers point of view, but also just the success and, and what he's been able to do. I mean, be real, the Wildcats were in last when they signed him and then they yeah. won the championship. So <laughs> to me, that's all that has to be said about Bryce Cotton. Absolutely. And I mean, in a lot of cases, usually, both things don't go together. You don't usually put up enormous numbers and achieve great things individually while playing a championship. Usually it's one or the other, but he's been able to do both. So I think that's a huge thing in his favour as well. But um, let's keep moving, Sean. Before we wrap up the show and we get your final thoughts, what are you expecting Game 2 in Perth on Friday night? And what what have you and Lockie Reed got in store for us pregame? Oh, yeah, we were talking about it last week. Uh, you know, we... Uh, we were amongst the dancers in the in the oh, pregame. Wow. You know, we were trying to match what they did up there in Cairns when uh, mm-hmm. Trigger and Matty Russell were sitting in the lagoon <laughs> in their uh, three-quarter <laughs> pants, yeah. um, trying not to get them wet. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have to come up with something good, something uh, WA. So I- I'm sure... I'm sure we'll we'll put our our heads together, uh, um, and I think we may have a, a special surprise. Um, so tune into the broadcast if you're okay. not going to be live at the game. There's a there's a little special surprise there potentially. Um, I haven't heard the official word, but we're hoping that's there. So I, I think the uh, listeners and viewers will love that. But yeah, no, it's a. Uh, I think it's gonna be a tough game. I think Sydney's gonna make some changes, and I think it's uh, hopefully it, it goes down to the wire again. Um, I'm picking the Wildcats just because they're at home, and and, th- and they know that if they get this game, that's uh, you know that's not that the series is over, you know. But no one's come back from an O2 um, deficit to win in the NBL Grand Finals, so it's uh, it's a huge game from Sydney's point of view, and I almost kind of feel like it's uh, Sydney's elimination game. So you've kind of got to uh, they're, they're going to throw everything at it. I think they'll have a a good showing, um, but I think in the end it'll be too much uh, of the Wildcats. If that happens, do you expect it to go to a game four, or do you think it it will be all over on Sunday? I don't know. Um, it, it, you just look at a Sydney Kings team that's not engaged like they were game two of the, the Melbourne yeah. United. It could be finishing game three. What will their fight like be? I know, you know, those guys on those teams, guys like Andrew Bogut, Kevin Lish, Casper, they've got a lot of prod. So I don't, ex- I, I think it, even if the Wildcats win game two, it'll come back to game four. So uh, that'll be, that'll be determined by the, their mindset. It's, it's a tough one because Sydney's going to have to travel over here, play here Friday, and then they travel whereas that's the only flight for the Wildcats this week who will be on that Saturday back. So in a way, they've kind of got a little bit of an advantage in that game three, if you could say it's an advantage uh, just having one less flight. But but obviously, Sydney's playing at home. All right, we'll wait and see. Now, it's been a big show, Sean. Thanks again for all of your insights. Hopefully, 
everybody's enjoying hearing what you've got to say about a whole whole range of, of different topics. And thanks to Rob Beveridge for joining us as, a, as well. And thanks again to Hoops Heaven for making this show possible. Head to hoopsheaven.com.au for, for all of your basketball merchandise. And of course, get your entries in. Send it to us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram to win your free free set of uniforms from ID Athletic. All we need to see is what you're playing in now and why you need a full new set of uniforms. And we'll pick a winner, which could be as early as next week if the grand final is already over, or, or it could be the week or two after that. So what, whenever our last show is, we'll be picking a winner to win that set of uniforms from ID Athletic. So it's been another terrific show here on Hoop 7's Basketball Hustle. Thanks for tuning in. Now, as always, the final word from the scoring machine. Well, look, the grand final, I think it's going to come down to who can shoot the three ball better. You saw the one game that the Sydney Kings have beat the Wildcats issue. They were absolutely on fire from the three-point line. So if I'm Will Weaver, I got to play my shooters a lot more. I got to get Didi. I got to get Kevin Lish, those guys, a lot more minutes because I think that's how you're going to beat the Perth Wildcats from the three-point line. So look for them to try and make the change and get their shooters going. Have a great time.